From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, we read, Just as a body, no one has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. They were all one part. Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts that we think of as less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Lord God, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's that passage in scripture where Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. Each person having their role, their part in the body. Everyone is essential, interconnected. Still, some of us have felt, at least on occasion, that we didn't make much of a contribution to the body. That maybe we weren't indispensable. Maybe we were, in fact, dispensable. We could be done away with. Well, Blackaby tells the story of Iva Bates in his book, Experiencing God, that I think informs upon this point. She was a widow who lived on a farm and was retired. According to Blackaby, she was one of the greatest prayer warriors that he had ever known. He said, our church was the body of Christ, and as the body of Christ, Iva was a need. God put her in the body as a powerful prey for her. When the church had new believers, the pastor would send them over to Iva because she didn't get out. He would send them to her and have Iva tell them how to pray. The church then commenced a ministry to the local university campus, and Iva at first was very distressed. There was a new ministry, a new endeavor going on in the church, and she thought, how do I, how do I fit into this? Well, when the minister for the campus ministry learned about Iva's gift for prayer, 
she he he engaged her in the ministry in this way he made sure she had a roster of everybody that was in the group so that she could be praying for them by name she didn't change her role in the body she just redirected her efforts she learned how to be the the knee in a sense for this new campus ministry and soon the students learned that whenever they were going to go and share Christ with a classmate that they better tell Ivan about it and that Ivan would be praying not only leading up to that moment but she would ask for the specific time that they were going to present the gospel to another student and she would pray well a student went to Ivan telling her that he was going to witness to a student named Doug over the Thursday lunch break that was coming up. And that Thursday, Iva stopped everything that she was doing and she prayed for the duration of that meeting. And this is what she would do anytime a prayer request came in. But three months later, a young man came down the aisle of church to commit his life to the Lord. It was Doug. Pastor said, looked over at Iva, somebody had brought her to worship that day, and she was deeply moved and weeping. She had never met Doug up until that point. She had prayed for him every day for three months. I want to ask you, in that scenario, who won Doug to the Lord? Who was it? Not a rhetorical question, you can respond. Who was it? The Lord? The Lord won Doug, yes. How, how how did the Lord operate through? Iva won him. Iva won him? Iva won him because Iva brought him before the Lord every day. Okay. All right. Any any other any other opinions? Both of them. The man that uh, asked our talk little and the Lord Okay. Yeah. So I think in a sense it was it was the church that brought him. It was the body functioning as it should together. You know, the mouth, the mouth being the mouth, and the knee being the knee. You know, what, however you want to draw out that metaphor. But the church, the body of Christ, won Doug to the Lord. We're going to be taking a look at over the next several weeks just what. What is a church? How is it meant to function? What are the what are the key components of a of a healthy church that's experiencing God and helping others to experience God? So we're just going to start the topic today. By no means is our discussion today going to be exhaustive. We'll start with that topic. What is the church? One of the greatest challenges in for Christianity in our society is that. Churches, um, they need to walk with God in a way that the world comes to know Him through their witness. And witness involves purposeful actions and words, attitudes, and community culture. It all fits together. But it all must begin and end with God's glory. Not the pastors, not the members, not the building. When a church allows God's presence and activity to be expressed, well then that community of faith is going to be attractive. It's going to draw 
others to God through their function as Christ's body. So how can our church be that kind of church? To answer that question, I think we first need to come to understand just kind of who we are in relationship to God and one another through, through this entity called the church, a local body of Christ. So I think the mistake that many churches make is that we, we can slide into kind of a, a human-centered way of thinking about, about the church rather than a God-centered way of thinking about the church. So I'm going to read out a few statements. This, again, is not going to be rhetorical. You're allowed to respond. Now, I want your feedback as to whether you think the statement is human-centered or God-centered. All right? They're going to come in, in pairs. And how about we, um, I'll read a pair, and then you tell me which one you think is, is the God-centered one. Okay? So first pair. All right, here's your choices. A, an effective church is built on strong leadership. Active participation by the laity and a good organization. Or B, Christ builds his church through the Holy Spirit empowered service of the pastor, other spiritual leaders, and members of his body. B. B. Lean towards B. All right, that's also the way I would sort of lean. Now, that doesn't preclude A. You can, you can have an effective church, right? That, that has strong leadership, but notice in that definition there was no mention of God. So you can have all those things without any spirituality in them. And that's how, that's how subtle I think it is, because there's a lot of things that the church can assume when we get together. We can assume we're all on the same page in terms of our, our faith and our beliefs. But I don't know about you, but I've been a part of a body of believers that after a while, I kind of understood that was not in fact the case. And and had some, I've, I've had pastors admit to me that they were not sure of their salvation. Other pastors. That's, that's a problem if you're the church together, right? Okay, another pair. Uh, A, Jesus Christ gives life to the church which is his living body, or B, the church is a group of people who have been effectively organized into an institution in a local community. A. All right, that one was a little easier, right? Okay, that was a gimme, all right? Now I've kind of given you the, the, the clue here that you might want to mention Jesus or, or God. All right, third pair. Every church needs a CEO and an executive board or B, Christ is the head of the church. <laughs> All right, you're getting easier, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see, two more. Uh, next pair. When the church gathers together, members experience God at work in the body through the lives of other members. Or B, church attendance is important to show our support for the organization. Okay. Good. All right. But how many times have you been in a church setting where it feels like the pastor is just really after your butt in the pew or the seat in this case? Because that's what feels like success. That's what feels like legitimacy. When we have people gathered together, it's about attendance. Yeah. 
All right, last paragraph. Hey, the church watches to see where God is at work and joins them in his redemptive mission. Or B, the church sets worthy and achievable goals and members give their best to achieve them. Amen. Yeah, that's, that's good. After, after nearly three months of experiencing God, I'm hoping that you would recognize that, that a key foundational principle of this idea of experiencing God is that we look to join God in his work, and that's the Holy Spirit that together leads us into the work that God wants us to do. That it's not about us getting together and saying, well, these three things, that'll make me feel good about Desert Springs if we achieve these things. So let's, let's figure out an action plan and get it done. So we can do that. And we may still do that, some aspect of that. But you got to have the, the other piece or else... All your planning is for naught. So hopefully you can see how some of these statements, although good, are human-centered rather than God-centered. And they can be appropriately incorporated into a God-centered church, but they can also serve as scaffolding, perhaps, for something that looks like a healthy church, but depends very little on God, on the Holy Spirit, and the experience of Christ living in and through us each day. That is the danger. That is the danger. A church can be healthy without a strong CEO type leader casting a vision for the future. But the church cannot be healthy without recognizing Jesus Christ as the head of the church. So how do we avoid this, this mission drift that can happen in the church? The temptation to for the sake of certainty and direction and definable purpose, drift away from dependency on God and experiencing God through the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of it has to do with kind of cultural values, things that that a group, uh, maybe they don't even verbally express them, but it's just you get the sense that this is what's important to this group of people. Here's some cultural values that I think need to be in place in the healthy church. Value number one, and these aren't necessarily in order, they're just how they came off of my head, all right? Value number one, being more important than doing. Being is more important than doing. Sadly, we allow ourselves to slide into the trap of viewing what we do for God as being more important than who we are in relationship with Him. Pleasing God, by doing is far more um, important than just, just being for God, in a sense, in our identity. Now, some of you might say, oh, wait a second. I was here last week. That sermon was about obedience. It seemed to be quite a bit about what we did or didn't do. Well, yes and, yes and no, right? I'm not, I don't, I don't want to contradict the message that I gave last week. But it does depend on our attitude and our motive. Because you can obey God, right? You can obey the things that God says to do without having a relationship. And then it becomes a sort of works righteousness. I think I'm going to earn my standing before God because of all the good things I can do and pat myself on the back for. God does want the church together to obey the things he set forth in Scripture. That's kind of a, you know, no doubt, right? That's, 
Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. But he's not interested in a church who, who goes against his pr principles and ethics, in a sense, to get things done, right? To, to look like a healthy church. You see, a number of Christians often think that a work for God, you know, if it's done for God, can be sort of achieved by any means necessary. That it's a, it's a bottom line sort of deal. That as long as I'm being effective, I can justify whatever it means it, it took to get there. So they may go against God's written laws, his principles, his things found in the Bible in order to achieve what they think is ultimately his will. I'm being vague at this point. I'm about to be really pointed. Okay? One example is teaching surrounding the gospel and Jesus being the only way to right relationship with the Father. God wants his people, the church, to be instruments of his work in the world, spreading the kingdom of God through the salvation of men, women, and children, and coming to know Christ and having their sin forgiven. God also wants us to display unity and love. However, that unity and love must be based on the principles laid down in Scripture, which express God's moral and ethical principles. Mainly that if you want to be right with God, you have to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's a non-negotiable. Also, something sadly lacking in the message of a lot of churches. Romans 3, 23 through 25 states, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life Shedding his blood. That's the gospel. A gospel that says, come as you are and stay as you are, is no gospel at all. A gospel that has no power to change us, or worse, doesn't ask us to change, is really no gospel, no good news at all. And it's not because we're trying to be mean. It's not because we're being judgmental. It's because it's, it's the truth. It's, it's the good news. And the good news is balanced with the bad news that we have a need and only Christ can fill it. The church should be unified in the teaching that all of us, right? This is a unified thing. All of us need to repent and align our lives with God, striving to lead lives of purity with the Spirit's help. Talk of purity, well, talk of purity in the church is about as popular as last week's topic, obedience. But we should not let the pressure of the world push us away from the truths of God's Word. Obedience and purity matter. And when I'm not pure, when I'm not obedient, that's a reminder of how much I am in need of constantly repenting and getting right with God. 
Not that I would get frustrated and say, well, I can't fix it. I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. I just, I'm going to accept that. No, it's that I keep coming to the cross. Okay? It's a matter of being, not doing. We don't achieve purity through our own efforts. If it were a matter of just working harder at being more self-disciplined, we would never get there. A call to purity or holiness and Christ-likeness is not, is not an effort at controlling people, right? which is what we hear sometimes as a complaint against the church. The church is being legalistic or, or, or holding forth standards. It's not about control. It's, it's a proclamation that as human beings, we are only truly free when we live according to the design of our maker. As we draw closer and closer to a loving God, and we realize more and more our, our identity as God's sons and daughters, well, that's, that's going to be the source of our growing holiness and, and purity. We get captured by God's love in that relationship. And as the Father is holy, we grow up into that holiness. And that's the second cultural value present in a holy in, in a healthy church. So value one, that was being is more important than doing, and I kind of segued into the second one, that holiness and purity is essential. Not that we would look holy and pure to everybody else, but inside we're, we're not. Or that we would even proclaim that we're holy and pure, that we put off some sort of sense of perfection to others, but that we are striving after holiness and purity because we want to, as sons and daughters of God, identify with our Heavenly Father. Let's look at a few passages that illustrate this point. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 states, as obedient children. Okay, so it starts with the relationship. And it does mention obedience. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance. You know, this is for, Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. But once you know better, you ought to do better. Do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance. Verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. In Philippians 2, 14 through 16, part of that passage that Nolan read earlier, Paul instructs the church, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. This may seem like a dumb question, but how do you shine like stars in the universe if there's no contrast between your life and the world's darkness? Living into greater holiness allows us to love others with pure motives and a clear conscience. This leads us to the third cultural value of a healthy church. So one was, was valuing being over doing, okay, which is important to kind of set that, because the second one, 
that purity and holiness is important could get you into focusing on the doing if you didn't have the first one. Right? So being overdoing, purity and holiness essential, value number three, love each other in words and actions grounded in truth. First John 3.11 states, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then later in verse 18, dear children, let us love with word, love not with just words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And verse 23, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Verses 11, 18, and 23 from 1 John chapter 3. That love of God is both caught and taught. Bradley shared a number of times that he, he caught it when he stepped into the walls of this church. He knew he had a need. He came in and he just sensed that something was different about the people here. That there were people that loved God and loved each other, and that drew him in. Love, the love of God is both caught and taught. We see it and we believe it as it is acted out before us. And I know about you, but I think, I think one of the reasons that the church is having trouble uh, growing or being more effective is that we have a generation of young people that are really good BS sniffers. They can tell when somebody's not being authentic when somebody's putting on a show. Their, their alarms for hypocrisy go off real fast. And so if they get a whiff of that at all, they're like, I'm out of here. These values of esteeming, being overdoing, living into holiness and purity as God's children, and loving each other as God has loved us, brings the church into a unity that aligns us all under God's direction. And this is the last cultural value of a healthy church that we'll discuss today. Unity under Christ is head of the church. In John 17, 20-23, Jesus prayed, My prayer is not for them alone, meaning his disciples that were immediately there with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. As we experience God, his call is, is clear that we live in holiness, purity, love, and unity in Christ. These values, all God-centered and Holy Spirit-empowered, provide the foundation and basis from where we can then function effectively as a church together. Functioning as a healthy expression of Christ's body in the church, we come to know and do God's will as a church, when our, and that's our primary application of the word today. Right? This idea of Christ as a body. I want to close using uh, just a little story about train tracks I heard from another pastor who was teaching on experiencing God. And frankly, I couldn't improve upon it. I liked it, so I'm going to use it. 
says, imagine you're walking down a dirt road one day uh, in the scrub brush, and we got plenty of that in eastern Washington, all around you, and, and up ahead, you, your eyes see a train track. They say to your body, hey, let's walk down those train tracks. Right? That's going to get us back to civilization in some sense. There's no trains in sight, so it should be safe. The next thing your ears say to the body, hang on a second, I've heard a train horn coming from the other direction. Then the eye starts to argue, well, as far as I can see, there is no train on the track. Let's keep walking. So your body only listens to the eye and it keeps walking. But soon the ears say, um, the horn is getting louder and closer. Then your feet speak up and say, I feel the rumbling motion of a train coming. We better get our body off the track. Now I want to ask you a question. If this were your physical body, right? it's kind of an absurd situation, but if this were physical, your physical body, what would you do? Would you get off the track as soon as possible? Would you take a vote of all your body parts and let majority rule? Would you try to ignore the conflict and just hope it passes away? Or would you trust the eye, because the eye is so insistent, Keep on walking and say, my eye has never let me down yet. This may seem like a silly illustration, because we know that God has given the various parts of our body in its different senses to help us out in life. We find that when each part of our body does its job properly, then our body works the way it should. When there's an illness or injury in part of our body, then the whole body suffers with it. In our physical body, we don't take votes based on majority rules. We, we don't ignore conflicting senses, nor do we choose to listen to only one sense and ignore all the others. We'd be foolish if we did. The same for the church, right? Yes. Because the church is the body of Christ. It functions at its best when spiritual leaders and members share what they sense God wants the church to be and to do. The church needs to hear the whole counsel of God. When we do this, then we can forge ahead in unity and confidence to do God's work. Since the church's foundation, individual expressions of the church, local congregations have struggled to live out that unity and push ahead into the future knowing what God has called them to do. Let's hope for something better as Desert Springs. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close with prayer. God, it would be our desire that we function as a healthy body, a healthy expression of the body of Christ, with no one here looking down on any other member, no person being given the sense that they're not as important as someone else. That the task of listening and hearing from you is someone else's role or someone else's job. 
but that we would truly be united in truth in the knowledge that you have called each and every one of us, that you've equipped us, that you have placed us in the body, and because you placed us, we have purpose. As we explore this topic over the next couple of weeks, Lord, give us discernment, give us wisdom, be in our conversations, be in our times of prayer with you, that we would be open to the way that you are leading us. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.